taking up the sword of Christian theology and the shield of apologetics while taking truth into the arena of ideas. You are listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by BellatorChristie.com. Now join your hosts, Brian Chilton and Curtis Evelo, as we enter into the arena of ideas. Coming to you from Ronan, Montana and Pilot Mountain, North Carolina, this is the Bellator Christie Podcast, and we want to start off with the word of the Lord. This comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5 which says we demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. We are we are winding down our summer interview series uh, here pretty soon, uh, and I hope uh, you've had some time uh, and something that you've heard uh, that that really has inspired you to uh, think deeply about Christianity and, and uh, what we believe and where we're at with the, uh, with the culture today. So I'm going to go ahead and welcome on Brian and uh, we'll get rolling on this. Hello, Brian. Hey, Curtis, hope you're doing well. <laughs> yeah, we're doing pretty good. It was actually pretty nice, uh, pretty nice day today. It was in the seventies, uh, mid seventies. And uh, yeah, so we're, oh, we're rolling along pretty good. I'm envious. Yeah. So so many reasons I'm envious you've been in Western Montana, but the '70s that just tops the that's icing on the cake. <laughs> well, you just you just wait till about till about January or February when it's about 25 below and we got foot in a foot of snow and it's blowing sideways. I'll just make sure that no nobody wants to be here at that time. <laughs> that that is a trade off. That is the trade off. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, big time. That, there's a yeah. price to paradise here on Earth. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding. I'm hoping in heaven those that really like snow can go somewhere where they can deal with snow. But those of us that really just want to have the spring, summer, fall, we can just we can just have that all the time. I'm hoping I'm hoping God sets that up for us. You know, I honestly believe that you know God is that which than which nothing greater can exist and can be conceived. And I believe heaven is going to be a place that's greater than any of us could ever perceive as well. So I I think it's going to be everything we can imagine and then so yeah i guess if we, if, we, if we do have snow at least maybe somebody else will plow the driveways and shovel everything yeah. so <laughs> i'm sure that's, that'll be the case <laughs> uh, don't we have a book uh that's that's about heaven somewhere I don't yeah know. it's in uh, it's it's smaller around it's uh, i actually finished the chapter i've been taste taking from ever ever to get through so uh, it's actually going to be on that very same topic so stay tuned uh, i don't know when it'll Good be deal. finished but it's it's in it's in the process <laughs> oh fun <laughs> Cool. Well, so we're we're uh, getting close to ending the summer series, um, and uh, we got our third to last uh, um, interview on. You want to go yeah, ahead and introduce them? Absolutely. We've got three remaining, and uh, we've got uh, um, uh, was it um, David Baggett's going to finish us out here in a couple weeks. Uh, looking forward to right. having him on, and uh, Ronnie Campbell will be with us next week. Uh, and today we right. have the distinct honor and privilege of having with us Manuel Boglio. Did I say that right, Manuel? You did. You did. Very awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Manuel is uh, he's a PhD candidate in the Theology and Apologetics program at Liberty University. He also has an apologetics ministry in Puerto Rico. Uh, it's in Spanish, and so I told him I could probably say the name, but I probably would have butchered it. So, so I'm not even going to try. But, but Manuel, it is a joy and privilege to have you with us on the Bellator Christie yes. podcast. <laughs> it's a privilege. The privilege and honor is mine. I'm very happy to be here, you know. And I, I just wanted to say that it's 79 degrees right now over here in Puerto Rico. Right. So oh man, if that's something. <laughs> if that's something that's said, that's that UND, you know, that's oh. that's normal over here in Puerto Rico. <laughs> that is not right. It's it like close to 90 <laughs> degrees here in humid. It's that's awful. <laughs> <laughs> It makes uh, it makes defending the faith a little more comfortable. <laughs> there you go. Say, man, I'm the odd man out on this podcast. I just uh. <laughs> so, Manuel, tell us yeah. tell us first, how did you come to faith in Christ? Um, yeah, well, that that's a pretty long story, you know, but but I can I can make it you know, I can summarize it. Essentially I was raised quote unquote in the church. So first when I moved to to the United States, I was raised in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, 
which is why I speak English the way I do. I did not um, know that. My parents first, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was there for 15 years from the age of three to the age of 15. So, yeah, since since then I've been in Puerto Rico. Um, so, basically, I was raised in first, like, the first couple of years I was uh, I went to Catholic school and then uh, my parents became Jehovah's Witness. So, that was my, my primary experience with God and religion and all of that in Christianity. And it was a negative experience, to say the least. And you guys can interrupt me whenever you want you know, to ask any questions you feel. Um, so, I, yeah, so I had I had negative experiences in both cases. In terms of the Catholic school, you know, I felt even though I'm light-skinned, I'm still Puerto Rican. So I experienced a lot of racism from the, the, the teachers. And, and that was pretty negative for as a child to experience mm -hmm. that for the first time. And then in the Jehovah's Witness the the what i can remember a lot of things but the, the thing that really stuck with me was the fear that they spoke a lot about the end times and they they were very visual and you know they had the the, the pictures drawn so in my mind i just associated god with fear right and when we moved to puerto rico i decided i wanted to have nothing with it nothing to do with god nothing to do with the church and essentially i became an atheist and i always just tell people that even though i never actually called myself an atheist the name god or the word god and the name jesus christ just meant nothing to me and i wanted nothing to do with it right so so and that's the way i lived my life for a few years one thing that was that really got to me was the fact that even though i was an atheist i didn't believe in god to me all of that stuff was nonsense people around me were christians especially two people specifically that were close to me um, one of which was my cousin and I couldn't understand why, right? I couldn't understand how people that I love, that I respect, that, you know, that were smart. You know, they're not, they're not, you know, just anybody. Mm -hmm. They believed in God. So in my mind, that didn't make any sense. And that's the moment where I decided, I, I actually went, I guess I'm pretty, pretty overdramatic if I describe it this way. But essentially, I went at an all-out war against God. I decided to prove that he did not exist. My, my, my yeah <laughs> and my point my purpose behind that was to convince my loved ones that they mm -hmm. were wrong you know to not believe in god because it didn't make any sense to me to me it was obvious mm -hmm. that god didn't exist that the bible was false it was full of contradictions and all of that stuff so that's the first time that i actually sat down and read the bible on my own for the purpose of proving that god did not exist in christianity was false long story short that took about a little over a year so I began with Genesis. By the time I reached Jesus in the Gospels, I realized that I was already believing this to be true. <laughs> and then that eventually led me to, to, to decide to actually give my life over to Christ. I went to church and I had that experience. And from then on, this is, this is who I am. I've been, I've been a Christian. That so I was very, actually convinced in that process. That sounds very Lee Strobel-like. Um, yeah, it is similar. Lee Strobel was actually pretty influential during that process. Yes, as was William Lane Craig, definitely. And what age was that? So I converted, it was around 19 years. So, yeah, so I was about 19 years old. Um, but I, I say that 19 years was essentially the time when I said, okay, I believe. But it was around 21 years where I actually gave my life over to Christ and actually started going to church and actually really, really was transformed by Christ. So I said intellectually it was around 19, but in terms of my actual life given over to Christ and, 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 you know, taking this journey, it was around 21 years. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And since then I've been, uh, that's why I'm in apologetics. I know that's one of the questions that you had for me. That's, that's actually the reason why I do apologetics because in that process, I had a lot of doubts, even after believing in Christ and believing in God, I actually had so many questions, so many doubts, and I approached so many Christians, even pastors, and nobody could provide any answers. And that's actually mm -hmm. one of the reasons why I didn't want to go to church, even mm -hmm. after believing. So even mm -hmm. once believing, I didn't want to be a part of a church because in my mind, the church was just full of ignorant Christians who didn't even know what they believed. Right. So Ouch. when, yeah, that's <laughs> that was my perspective. Yeah. And when I finally decided to go to church and I stayed there and I gave my life over to Christ, I said, I decided at that moment that I wanted to be for others what I what nobody was for me at that time. Yeah. And mm -hmm. since then, I've been trying to defend the faith precisely so that I could help those that have those same questions that I know I had, and therefore other people have. And that's why I, did, I, I, I do this. That's why, that's why I apologize. 
is my main ministry. You know, Manuel, that's that's very interesting because my story is very similar to that because when I went to ask questions of people in the church, uh, I was just told, well, believe in the Bible because it's the Word of God. And I asked, how do I know it's the Word of God? Well, because it says so. I mean, that's the type of answers I had. And so I, I can very much, I'm very sympathetic to your cause there because it does seem like there's a lot of people when it comes to the intellectual things of the faith that they just really don't put one, a foot forward to, to really try to understand these things. Yeah, and it was, and I would say that even not even on the intellectual side, although that is an issue. Like I, I, I was just starting out, so I had basic questions, yeah. you know. And one of one of my main questions was about homosexuality. For some reason, that topic just stuck with me. I couldn't understand. This was before, you know, all this that we have going on now, you know. Um, and I was questioning why homosexuality was a sin. Was it actually a sin? People are born this way, and I had all these doubts. And absolutely nobody thought about these things. We just they just said it's a sin because the Bible says so. And, and that's that. So that was actually one of my first issues for some reason. And I don't struggle with homosexuality. <laughs> that, that has nothing to do with my life. But for some reason, that topic really got to me, I guess, because I don't know, it's emotional, I guess. I, I really yeah. never understood why that was the first issue that I dealt with. Um, but, yeah, that was a struggle. And, 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 and I, I never understood why. People just didn't think about these things, you know. Very true. Yeah. So today, uh, just a question out of the out of the with the Jehovah's Witnesses. There was there was there a lot of focus on just um, trusting in the systems and the and the things that were involved in just the in the in that church itself, um, or, or was there was there a lot of deep teaching that that they actually had wrong? from the start how was it yeah i would say the latter give us an overview yeah, I, w- I would say the latter um you have to remember i was pretty young throughout those years that i was Jehovah's witness so a lot of the things that i that i experienced were superficial you know mm-hmm. as a child you know i wasn't really like deep into it because i wasn't an adult but my observation was what you said the latter they did seem because what i remember from jehovah's witnesses was mostly the bible studies like we would go mm-hmm. to each other's houses and it would literally be a Bible study, and the reason why I remember it is because I because when the the person that was teaching asked questions, my mom would highlight the answer in the book, and I would just read it, and I would feel smart. That's the reason why that stuck with me. So I <laughs> oh, felt I felt like I was actually part of the of the group, and they taught a lot about evangelism. That's another thing that stuck with me, like something that I have never experienced in the church to this day was. You know, when I was in Jehovah's Witness, they they literally took you to the streets and they showed you how to knock on people's doors and how to present the gospel, you know, as they define it. And you lose that fear pretty quickly because you're being exposed to this at Mm -hmm. an early age. And I think that there's a lot that we can learn in that sense. But, yeah, to answer your question, I think it was just bad theology. They were just they were just mistaken. Uh, I don't think Mm -hmm. I, I don't think it's anything else. Yeah. Interesting. You know, that's one of the things, you know, positive, I mean, even though the theology is bad and, and, and aired, one, one of the positive things you can say about uh, the Jehovah Witness movement is the fact that they are not afraid to evangelize. And, and it makes me wonder, what would the Christian church look like if we adopted some of the same practices to actually get the gospel out? But, you know, we... we you Definitely, are, I mean, there's a lot... Go ahead, I'm sorry. Go ahead, go ahead, Brian. Oh, I was just going to say, you know, you answered the the question about what led you to apologetics. So, you know, our real f- our focus today is, you know, there's a lot of areas where, especially in rural areas, where there aren't a lot of apologetic ministries found, and you know, trying to reach out to some of these areas. So, why is apologetics important for all believers? Uh, what is what is the benefit that we find through? apologetics i mean i I could give like the classical answers you know there's the positive and negative apologetics there's internal external all that stuff like i give the classic answers of why apologetics is important i can i think i prefer to answer why it's important why it why it has proven to be important in my life um first it brought me to christ Mm -hmm. so whenever i i hear people say that you can't convince people through arguments that god exists and to become christians you're essentially saying I never experienced that, right? <laughs> I, I actually experienced coming to Christ 
through through apologetics. That's what brought me to him. Obviously, there's the Holy Spirit and the conviction through scripture and all of that, but but it was primarily on the intellectual side of it. And so that's one reason. It actually does bring people to Christ, even though I know you can't argue somebody to Christ, but it is one of the instruments that God can use to bring people to Christ. Um, and another reason is because at, a, at, 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 at my peak, during, I, I say peak, right? But it was because I was very active in the church. I was leader, youth leader. I was um, teaching Bible classes. I was preaching. I was going to different congregations to talk about apologetics. So that was like my peak in terms of service and in the ministry. I had the most doubts about God. Mm. That was when I started experiencing doubts. And that, you know, that in itself is another story. That's part of my testimony. Um, it has to do with my anxiety and my divorce. I'm actually divorced. All of that co coalesced and it created doubts inside of me. I couldn't understand why God wouldn't heal me, why why this was happening in my life. And I reached the point in which I actually started to question whether or not I believed in God. Mm. So I was I was preaching and I was teaching and I was even speaking about apologetics to other people, but internally I was crumbling. You know, like I I, I didn't know if God was real or not. And if not for the, the the tools that I had learned throughout this apologetic ministry, like that's what kept me grounded. Like that's what that's what made me realize, wait, your doubts aren't intellectual because you know the arguments. You know that God is real. You mm. know this stuff. So I was able to classify and realize that it's not that I don't know if God exists on an intellectual aspect. I was dealing with emotional doubt. Mm -hmm. And being able to classify it in that way helped me incredibly throughout this process and i was able to restore my faith so i think apologetics really really helped me in being able to identify what i was going through so that's why i believe apologetics is important and just for listeners so you know that uh, gary habermas has identified three forms of doubt uh the intellectual form of doubt uh which is what emmanuel is talking about the 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 problems with existence of god resurrection uh, the intellectual things, emotional doubt, and this has to do with a lot of times the problem of evil. Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do bad things happen to us? You know, what do you do in in cases when God didn't come through? And then the volitional doubt. And Manuel, you talked about that too. You know, why are some things listed as a sin? Um, you know, and other things. You know, why are things listed the way they are? And so. Um, I, th I think it's important to bring forth that tripartite definition of doubt as they come forth in the intellectual, emotional, and volitional cases. Um, Curtis, you have any other definitely? Questions? And I would, I would, I would actually classify that as part of apologetics because that's another yeah. thing, right? Apologetics to me is so broad that it's almost inescapable as a Christian. I agree. Yeah. So it's 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 not just presenting arguments for the truth of Christianity. It's it's also dealing, for example, what you just spoke of, um, the different aspects of doubt. That that's that to me is part of it, you know. And it's also part of it in terms of our relationship. Sometimes our relationship with God gets strained, mm -hmm. and we have to figure out what's going on and what tools to use to restore that. To me, that's part of apologetics because we're asking questions. Why is this? Why is this happening? Right? And First Peter three fifteen talks about offering a response. Well, sometimes the question comes from ourselves, not from other people, and we have to be able to answer those questions even sure. on our own, in a sense. So, so yeah, I think apologetics is very it's much broader than we we sometimes make it out to be. Yeah. Well, so like. Just for example, today um, I was listening to uh, Stand to Reason, and Greg Kokel was talking about how he went out to dinner with his wife, and there was a man standing there in line waiting to uh, actually get to their table. Um, so they'd been standing there for like 40 minutes or so, and this guy had showed up, and he had a mask on, um, you know, for COVID, his COVID mask, and it said, um, Believe. And so Greg Kokel instantly engaged he's like what does that mean you know what does that mean to you and instantly the guy was like believe in whatever you want to believe in <laughs> and so yeah so that started a conversation that allowed that went down a road was able to kind of start fishing out what 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 was this guy talking about so you know um it was it was really kind of interesting to hear him parse this out, but using 
using having having a brain that thinks in the apologetics realm allowed him to be able to have a conversation with somebody that really had no idea what was going on you know in the conversation greg was just kind of walking him through just asking him questions and and using apologetics it, it just in a general conversation and didn't have to really speak of you know greg's faith he didn't have to talk about god or jesus or anything he was just trying to get to a general understanding is what does what does believe mean you know yeah. yeah and i think i think that points to the the personal nature of apologetics as well and it's actually one of the dangers that we have to sometimes be aware of and avoid too often this stuff becomes just intellectual exercise right yeah so so it's just an intellectual exercise of how i can for example uh, uh, demonstrate or defend right. this argument but there's a there we're, it's people mm-hmm. we have to reach yeah. people you know that's part that's the, that's what the gospel is about and we have to figure out a way to present the gospel to these people in a way that they yeah. can understand and bring them to christ so th- what what came to mind as you were speaking in that example is because I, I focus primarily on youth um that that's my main area of of ministry in all areas of ministry i focus mostly on youth and mm-hmm. the youth don't usually have questions like okay what well, um if the universe began to exist, what created the universe? They don't. They don't really ask those types of questions, right? Um, they don't right. care about what the cosmological or ontological arguments are. I mean, that some do, and that's very interesting, and, and and it has its place. But the youth that I deal with are usually come to me and ask me, "Hey, why is why are tattoos a sin if they are a sin at all? Um, am I allowed to drink alcohol here and there? Am I allowed to go to listen to to this music?" Um, they want to know why not if the answer is no. And 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 these are the types of things that they're dealing with, and especially in this world where we have all this sure. stuff going on with LGBTQ and all of that. We have the positions that we have. Why is it the case that this is sin? This is a sin. Why can't we just accept people? And to me, that's an area of apologetics that really gets overlooked is that personal aspect and yep. these types of questions. And we focus, we tend to focus on the I guess the higher intellectual aspect of apologetics. Very good. Yeah. Well, and and I think there's you know you were t- as we're talking about the importance for for individuals in a line of work that I'm in uh, as a hospice chaplain. Everybody is eventually going to be met with a point of crisis in their life, where either they themselves are going to have a an incurable disease, uh, or a family member is going to. And I have noticed a, a an amazing difference between individuals who have a firm, solid faith and those who don't when they're met with times of crisis. And I think that this is another huge reason uh, that, that we need to make sure that we have a strong faith built on the foundation of Christ. And I would also say, Manuel, I think you did a wonderful job pointing out the fact that this that this needs to be in a, a spiritual relational uh, at the, the relationship with Christ because it's not just an intellectual exercise. It's, right. it's about developing that relationship with a sovereign God. Yeah. So Yeah, and, and what is the end goal, too? Like, we have to ask ourselves, what is the end goal? That's one of the things that I appreciate about Habermas, which you mentioned, um, I'm not going to touch, well, I'll, I'll probably mention it, but, you know, he defends primarily the, the historical argument for the resurrection. And his reason is because that gets, the way he says it is like it gets us on the yellow brick road, right? Right. It gets us faster to the gospel. And I do respect that aspect of his take on, on, on apologetics. What he cares about is presenting the gospel. So he uses the argument that he believes will get us there quicker. Quicker, yeah. And I think that's something that we, yeah, we need to we need to realize. Like, what is the end goal of apologetics? You know, and I think it is to bring people to Christ and to strengthen the faith of those that are already in Christ. Mm, absolutely. So, looking at as we're talking about reaching places where apologetics may not be found, because you know, at the outset, you were talking about. You and I both have encountered, and I know Curtis has encountered it too, with with individuals who who don't pursue the answers, even for for even some of the basics of faith. Um, what are some of the biggest obstacles one might face when reaching rural areas or underserved areas uh, with apologetics? 
Yeah, I think I think one of the biggest obstacles is that people are generally not interested in anything that sounds too intellectual. So that is actually one of the struggles that, that people have. Once you've mentioned the name theology or philosophy or apologetics, a lot of people shut down, right? Especially a lot of youth. That's one of the, the obstacles that I've um, confronted. But the biggest challenge to me is that not many people, even with, especially within the church, I should say, believe in apologetics. Mm-hmm. So that's actually one of the things that I've struggled with here in Puerto Rico. I'm actually part of the evangelical denomination. And at this moment, I'm actually at odds with the denomination on this. Like, I, 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 really? I, this is something that I'm always, yes, that this is always in my, on my mind because I realize the limits that the denomination has placed on this ministry of mine. So that's always something that's on my mind is because this, this denomination does not, does, does, really does not believe in, in apologetics. Like, that's not, it's not, this, it's not just that it isn't important is that they don't see it as something that we even should be doing, at least within the church. Like, if this is something that I've been told, okay, so so this actually is something that I've actually been told by, for example, my former pastor. Um, one, of the, I, 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 one of the things that he told me was when we were speaking about Bible classes and the purpose of the, of the Bible studies at church, and he told me, you know, the Bible classes are supposed to be superficial, you know, that's, that's the purpose of the Bible class. They're supposed to be superficial, and then we'll give them the meat in the, in the sermon. That's essentially what, what he told me, and I struggled so much with that because the Bible classes is when you speak to people and they can ask yeah. questions. Deeper. And we can, yeah, yeah it's, it's supposed to be deeper because you can't interrupt the pastor and ask a question. In the like, it can't <laughs> be that way, right? Um, and... and 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 going beyond that, um, having the ministry that I do have, I was actually not allowed to teach apologetics for a while because they believe, you know, when I say they, my denomination, um, believe that the actual, the, the correct position is actually the what, what most scholars, according to them, believe. And it's that the Bible is really more of a historical book. It's more of a, a man-made book. It does have errors and contradictions. Oh, man. Um, that that is the position that they're taking because they believe that is the intellectual consensus. Oh, so um, they're, they're, they believe the intellectual consensus has taken that yeah. position. Oh, yes, Lord. that's what they believe. That's what they believe, and and therefore to defend, for example, if I were to defend the historicity of, I don't know, let's just say Jonah's the the story of Jonah, um, they would say no, you can't do that because Jonah is a myth. So you you're not allowed to 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 delve into those topics. So, so, so to answer your question, the, the, just yeah. just just for clarity's sake, are you saying the denomination is saying that yes. like they're saying my denomination? Yes. <laughs> so they're saying that Jonah that they're that that's a myth. Yeah, that's that that those types of stories in the Old Testament are actually myths. Yes, that is the that is their position. Yes. Wow. Well, they're going and against Jesus on that one. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. Yes. <laughs> So that that is a, that is an issue, and I've had that, that, and I know this isn't the topic, but that is one of my conflicts, right, within the the church, because my passion is here, because this is where I I work with youth. I can't just leave the domina- denomination because I feel like I'm abandoning these youth that are in sure, this denomination, yeah. right? Yeah. And I and I feel that way, and and if I were to leave, I also feel like okay, then what change is going to happen, if anything? While at the same That's time, you know, I realize, yeah, and I, and I, but at the same time, I realize, you know. They're leading a lot of people astray because there's not a lot of apologi- apologists in Puerto Rico. Like, um, if I'm being all honest with all of you, I don't know anybody else who does the apologetics besides myself. I haven't met somebody yet in Puerto Rico, mm. and that that is actually a big deal. That's actually wow. a real, real big issue. Yeah. So how do they how do they defend uh, how do they defend the Bible? Did they did they approach it more like a presupposition? presuppositional type of approach or, or or how do they do that you know it's very confusing i don't i don't know exactly how to answer that question because when you hear the sermons and when you hear when you talk to to the christians and you know the leaders in the church they do sound like you're they sound they are christian like they do preach the gospel and they do believe this stuff and but it's i don't know how to answer your question because i guess they don't they, they just don't delve into that aspect of it hmm. So that's just something that they don't delve into. It's just a matter of this is what is true, and therefore this is what we're teaching, and that's the end of the matter. And you can have your own personal 
beliefs about this stuff. You can practice apologetics on your own, but not on a denominational level. Like not on a mm. denominational level, you can't you can't do that. So I really so, I really don't know the exact answer. Yeah. So it sounds like with you know, like Bellator Christie, and to be honest, that is exactly the reason why at the outset Bellator Christie has become a non-denominational ministry because. Um, I, I haven't met the opposition that you have in the denomination, but I have met with, with some resistance uh, in in some you know particular circles, and so that's one of the reasons this been set as a non denominational ministry for that very reason. Um, man, <laughs> yeah. And to be clear, this is actually some, a more of a recent uh, experience. This stuff that I'm describing to you is actually something fairly recent it's, this is the way the denomination is moving this is the direction that they're moving it hasn't always been this way right this is something fairly recent and and it's but it's becoming the the prevalent position yeah mm. wow so yeah that's the biggest challenge the biggest challenge is simply people not believing in apologetics so you have to convince them first and foremost that this is actually biblical and that it is useful and then you know, seek ways to do it. So I, I haven't, I've, I've actually struggled quite a bit with that, which is why I have my own personal ministry. And that's how I reach people. And that's how I, I interact with others, because I know that within the church, it's, it's much more limited, at least the denomination that I'm in right now. It seems to me like that's a slippery slope that they've gone down, which can lead to some very bad ends, you know, long term. But unfortunately, many denominations yeah, are following that road. Um, um, in Puerto Rico, I don't remember the exact statistic, but more and more, like less and less churches even have Bible studies in in church. Like that's not a thing anymore. Really? Um, you know, it used to, yeah, it used to be that Sunday service began with the Bible study, and then we'd have the 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 service, and we'd have other studies beyond that as well. But the main thing was on Sundays, and that's actually becoming less and less of a thing, especially with the pandemic, especially with COVID. Right. One of the the quickest things that was that that were discarded were, were the Bible classes. So so, in general, the intellectual aspect of Christianity here in Puerto Rico has diminished quite a bit, and the atheistic movement is growing rapidly as well. Atheism is growing rapidly as well in the last five to ten years. So that is a problem. It is a slippery slope because mm. because the church doesn't have a response to these movements that are growing right now. One of my biggest concerns, I don't know how much you guys are, are, are on this, but it's um, progressive Christianity, what, what people yeah. call progressive Christianity. That's actually one of my biggest concerns right now because I, for, I first heard it, you know, I, I heard it, I admit it, like, I heard it on TikTok first, that specific name, because I know of the movement, but that specific name, I first heard it on TikTok and I realized that TikTok had become a, I don't know how you call it, but it, that that's where a lot of ideas are, be, are beginning to spread. Seriously? around the world yes yes <laughs> definitely and that's when i first heard of it and then i started looking into it and i started realizing okay other people like like pastor mike winger are speaking on this this is a real issue um and then just two weeks ago one of the youths that i used to work with um in my my previous church outright said i i define myself as a progressive christian so that's the first time that i've actually heard somebody use that name here in puerto rico and I'm becoming very scared about that, but the church isn't really in, like, since the church isn't prepared to respond mm. to these movements because nobody actually takes the time to study these things. And that's mm. why I am so passionate about apologetics, because I know that these movements arise and, and we need to be prepared for that. You know, Manuel, I believe, honestly, the more the church is going down this path, you know, obviously there are fewer and fewer people willing to stand for the truth of God's Word. And I believe that the pockets of Christianity that survive this are going to probably come a lot from, you want to say, extra church or, or, or what's the word, the other other ministries like this, you know, proclaiming these truths and, and building the ability to converse with people and um, to, to really defend the truthfulness of Christianity. And I'm afraid that uh, many churches are either going to turn, as you said, progressive, uh, which they doubt the historicity of the Bible, uh, or or uh, just not meet at all. I mean, I'm really concerned. I'm with you. I'm, I'm really concerned with the direction that the church in in, in the entire Western world, uh, the way it's going. 
Yeah, and it's a shame. I don't want to sound like too too negative either, but but it is it is pretty scary to realize the direction that everybody is heading in. And and but you know, on a personal level, you know, the way I the way I, the only thing that keeps me sane, I guess, the, the only thing that keeps me focused is realizing like this is more of a personal thing. Maybe I'm never gonna make a big change in Puerto Rico, but. But on a personal level, I have reached lives, and I know of people that would have abandoned the faith if not for these things that that I've worked with them. I've known people that I wanted to take their lives, and I've been able to help them. And I know that there are Christians, you know, especially youth, that are that are interested and are actually studying apologetics now on their own life because of this. So that's what keeps me focused. You know, it's the individual lives that I'm mm-hmm. trying to reach, even though I know that on a macro level. I might not be able to even make that change that I would like. And the strange thing about this is this is not a Latin America um, problem. I've noticed that it is very much a Puerto Rico problem because I've seen apologetics ministries in other parts of of the Latin culture and other other countries and other places around the world that are Latin, primary Latin. So this is something that actually exists in my culture. But for some reason, Puerto Rico just is not with that like puerto rico for some reason it is a puerto rico problem and that's actually one of the reasons i wanted to say for example i study at liberty and i've always thought about you know moving over there maybe if i could find a job over there at one at some point not at liberty specifically but somewhere in the united states um my cut my fat some of my family lives in pennsylvania and they've told me to go over there hey build a restaurant over here you know that we can like i know that i could have a much better life and flourishing ministry in the states but my heart is in puerto rico you know right. And it's yeah. uh, how, what what what's going to happen? Like what? A, like I can't leave until I feel like I've actually done something, you know. And that my heart is with these youth and these adults as well that are just, you know, on that path. When you you know, Manuel, I, I join. I, I don't think it, that it's that it's that it's merely a Latin problem. I because I find that a lot of areas here in North Carolina are having the same problems that you just mentioned. Uh, it's it it's all over uh you know because you either have places that aren't willing to engage the issues as you mentioned and or you have places that are turning more to a progressive form of christianity uh, uh if it's any consolation <laughs> which i don't know that that's much consolation i i think it's uh it itself is a pandemic going on in the church right now but uh yeah i wonder i wonder and i ask you guys like what do you what, why do you think that is i have my ideas but why do you think that is because it does seem to be a general trend within christianity there are many exceptions but in general that is certain a certain trend and i wonder if you guys have any ideas of why that is beyond the spiritual decay that is going on in a lot of people's lives well curtis i'll let you you take that i'll let you jump at this first because i have my own opinions on this i'll let you jump in first well i think i think the 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 lack of biblical engagement, people spending time in the word and spending time uh, with God privately in their own, in their own walk to um, nourish and feed that, uh, that, that walk with the Lord, I think is a big, big thing that, that people are missing nowadays. And I think it's, you know, you got these quick little things that come up on your Bible app that says, oh, this is the word for the day or whatever. And 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 so it's almost like that's good enough. You know, um, there's not a lot of people passing that information on to the next generation or actually spending time talking about it with the people in their families when they have an ear uh, with their families to talk about it. It's it's it is a a difficult topic, you know, to talk about God with people, but it's not a difficult topic. We we make it more than it actually is, and I think that's probably the bigger thing. Is is uh, so now if we see any bit of resistance, all of a sudden we shut down and we'll never talk about it again to that person. And I think. Being in the scriptures, getting our getting the word involved in our minds and our hearts, and in our daily walk, then emboldens us to be able to know that all we got to do is just speak truth and speak truth in love to people that we are around. It then 
allows them to see that we're not just just uh, going to clobber them with a verse or what have you. You know, we're going to actually engage with their conversation and, and do it in such a way that actually um, allows them to see that that we're just as human as they are, you know. And I think there's a lot to that. Um, there, there's so much that that uh, that goes on, but there's there's a couple other things too. I think uh, you know people are are truly afraid to engage the culture today on the topics that are actually um, on the surface of the of the of the culture. I think not having a proper base, not having a proper relationship with Christ, I think really hinders us to be able to speak into the world today back you know 100 years ago even even probably even 75 years ago the culture came to the church to ask where they were wrong now the church is going to the culture and asking where are we going wrong it's it's a total flip and i think that's a problem a huge problem i would answer i would answer in two words Apathy and entitlement. I think it yeah. comes down to that. I think a lot of people are apathetic when it comes to uh, the Bible and spiritual issues. Um, they just don't want to do it. They don't want to engage it until you know they're they're met with a crisis, and then everybody becomes a Christian <laughs> at the end of life, or at least they think they are. You know, a lot of people will say that, but then um, you know, I think there's also this sense of entitlement that I found where. A lot of people believe that God owes them something, but they don't understand the aseity of God. <laughs> they don't understand mm-hmm. some of those deeper issues. So that would be how I would answer, uh, at least on a surface level. There are a lot of deeper issues we could go into in addition to that. But, yeah, definitely. There are. This is more complex than we can speak on it here. I think one of the issues that I've noticed is that there is a bit of a disconnect between the church and what's going on in society, unless it has to do with the church speaking out against something like homosexuality or abortion, the church doesn't really engage in, in society. And when I say this society, again, I'm thinking especially in youth, right? Because that's why I deal with work with primarily, but the church seems to be very disconnected with whatever is going on within the youth at this moment. For example, I just mentioned TikTok to you, Brian, and you were surprised that really that's where, see, that's the thing, though. But everybody's on TikTok right now, right? And, and I, just I can't I, bring I'm myself to it. it. I don't know. <laughs> no, no. And I, and I actually don't recommend I actually tell everybody I don't recommend TikTok because it is addicting and and sometimes things pop up that you don't want to see but you've already seen it so i i don't recommend tiktok but at the same time if not like i would have never found out with about all of these ideas that are going around right now within a lot of people that call themselves christians like i would have never realized that there is a big movement right now that is rejecting um the reality of hell for example yeah. there there is a movement that 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 that's that says that the Bible never tells us to repent of our sins. Like there, there's no verse that actually says that. That's that there, and there is a big movement that is promoting these ideas. So my point have, is, have they read I, the New Testament? <laughs> I think that I think that the, the the reason why, or one of the reasons why, then the church is going in this direction, is because I think very few people in the church realize what's actually going on in the ground on the ground floor. I so think you're right. By the yeah, so by the time something like progressive Christianity becomes a thing, you know, it's already too late. It's already a thing. People already know how to defend it. People already know how to how to how to teach it. So we're not catching it when it begins because we're not engaged in in, in on the social trends. We're not really engaged. Like when when the pandemic started, um, and this is not a criticism of my pastor because I, I love my pastor and he's a good pastor, but he's he's an older person. And when the pandemic started, it took a while, about a month. Before I spoke to him, I said, Pat, are you thinking about making the the, the, the the sermons, you know, making sermons on virtually? So that way we can keep ourselves engaged at least once a week. And he said, you know, I, I just, I don't know how to do it. That's why we weren't doing it. And then we immediately began to search how to do it. And now we do it. So that's just an example, right? How a lot of people just simply don't even know how to use technology, for example. And that's what that, that to me limits how we can reach certain groups like 
like the youth. Well, and this kind of goes into our next question, talking about local churches. Uh, it, it, I think that it, from what my observation, and, and this isn't a criticism towards anyone of, of any church I've ever served, but this is a general observation of, of churches in general. It seems like churches move at a glacial pace. Change comes very, very, very hard. And I think there are reasons for that because you know, the culture is changing so quickly. I think the church has become one of those last bastions of, of, uh, of, of hope that, you know, we've already done these things 50 years. We don't want to change now. I think it, it becomes uh, sometimes almost like an, a golden calf just through the tradition of certain things. Um, and I don't know that that's always, of course, a golden calf is bad, but it's not always, tradition is not always bad. But I, th- I think the problem comes in with what you're saying, Manuel, is that we're not keeping up with these issues because we're moving so slowly. We're, we're so slow to adapt and change. And I think that is, and I'll be honest, I'm a person, I don't like change. You can ask Curtis, you know, we had a very old school, primitive technology. It took a while for him to convince me to even go to Google Meets. So, <laughs> so I mean, I, I get it. I understand it. But I think you're right. I think that's part of the problem. And having said all that, I want to be a little more positive as well. Like I even even with all of this resistance and the trends that I'm seeing, especially here in Puerto Rico, I still see a lot of hope. Like I still see a lot of youth that are actually engaged in these topics. They're, they they are hopeful and they are interested. Like one of the youth that I work with asked me about two months ago. You know, um, what was the name of the of William Lane Craig's? Um, one of William Lane Craig's book, and he went out and bought it. And that's something that came from him, right? That's not something that I put on him. He was interested in the topic. Just recently, they asked me to do a Bible class on progressive Christianity, so I did that. Uh, and and this Friday, we're, we're engaging in a sort of a debate with amongst ourselves. I want to show, show them how to debate, so I'm going to be sort of the bad guy. I'm going to try to, <laughs> to challenge their beliefs and see how they can respond. And and going beyond that, like there's there's a lot of people that are interested and you know my cousin is a pastor she's also very engaged in in these sorts of ministries so i do see a lot of hope there is a, there is still hope you know it's not it's not all lost we just have to be more active and i just i hope that i can find at least somebody else to work with me at some to some degree here in puerto rico you know because as i said i have yet to meet somebody else who does this in puerto rico but there is hope i do see hope it's not all lost as long as there are people like you, Manuel, standing in the gap, there's always hope. So I want to get a little more theological, philosophical here. Um, in your opinion, what is the most important apologetic argument? What what argument has made, and it may be more than just one, what argument or arguments have made impact? And I know talking with you in class before, there's this ontological argument you were talking about. So, yes. so I, want, I want to open it up to you. What, what are some of the most important arguments that you found? So, yeah, as when I read that question, you know, those, I usually resist those types of questions. <laughs> um, I remember, I remember uh, when one of the assignments that I had, I think it was, in, I don't remember, it was in my master's and the bachelor's at Liberty. And one of the essays that they asked me to write was to choose a, a, an apologetic argument as the best argument and defend why it was the best. And I refused to do it. <laughs> I actually, I refused to do it. And my essay was actually why, why we shouldn't do that, right? My essay was actually about that. And, the, and I remember the, the teacher, the professor actually respected that, gave me a good grade. So when you ask that question, you know, I am resistant to say, well, this is to me the best or one of the best arguments. Because, for example, it, it really depends on the person, right? Yeah. It depends on the context and the situation and what, what argument you need to use. So the cosmological argument, for example... The good thing about that argument is that it is grounded in some sense on science. So a lot of people in science, a lot of people value that, right? They want to hear scientific reasons for why God exists. So that's useful for that type of person. But science changes constantly. So that's why I'm wary about using that argument too much because it could change. What happens when we discover that the world scientifically is eternal? What are we going to do then, right? right, So I'm not saying that's going to be the case, but... It could happen. Like science could change in that in in another direction for whatever reason. And then we have, for example, the moral argument, which is actually my first personal favorite argument. It is very useful because it is something that is grounded in common experience. All of us experience good and evil. We all experience things that are good and bad, and therefore, 
unless you challenge somebody directly and say objective morality exists, they start resisting. No, 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 not necessarily. But unless you do that, most people accept that there is a good thing. There is good and there is evil. There is right and there is wrong. Right. So that's why I find that argument useful. But to be honest, I think I, I would prefer, as you hinted at, the ontological argument or or variations thereof. And I just I think that we I think that's it is an underdeveloped area of 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 apologetics. And mm-hmm. I would hope for more on in that area because I think it is useful and there is something intuitive and there is something convincing about an ontological argument while at the same time you're kind of wary because of it's so simple, right? It, because it is it does seem convincing. We're kind of wary. It does seem more like wordplay. But but I'm convinced. I'm convinced that the ontological argument is is sound and is valid. So I would say it depends on the situation. I prefer the ontological arguments. Yeah, I think there's a lot of meat to the ontological argument because, I mean, the whole aspect of necessity and contingency, I think, is a very important uh, aspect of the ontological argument. And as you said, it's been an underserved argument. Yeah, and th- that isn't my final answer. My final answer is actually the, the argument for the resurrection. But, uh, but I, but I want to speak a little more about the ontological argument um, because I, I think that one of the things, I, one of Dr. Campbell's classes that I, that I took, there was one sentence that I stuck with me, and I've repeated it so many times to so many people in different contexts. Just a few months ago, we were talking about um, video games, and I brought up this, this philosophical concept because I think it was, re- it was relatable. And essentially, it's not going to make any sense when I say it, but it, but it, does, it does make it make sense. And the sentence that stuck with me was, in what sense is, when you think about a monkey, in one sense, is that monkey a monkey? Hmm. And the answer is, in no sense. The thought about a monkey is not a monkey. Monkey has certain attributes. It needs right. certain, or ape, or whatever. It has certain attributes that a thought does not have. For example, a thought does not have, I guess, fur, for example. So it can't be a monkey, right? And when you read the word and you define it in a certain way, those words themselves are not the monkey. The monkey has certain attributes. And I think that is related, in a sense, to the ontological argument, because what do we mean when we talk about God? And and there is a sort of general consensus about it. But my point is that the word God means something. And one of the things that it means is the supreme being, mm-hmm. to, to summarize it, right? You said it earlier. Maxim- uh, I don't remember it was off camera. Yeah. Ma- maximally great being. Anselmian, yes. or, or Anselmian yes. God is what Dr. Baggett exactly. calls it. Yeah. Exactly. And so if we were to change that and redefine it, we are no longer talking about the same thing. But if we are talking about this specific concept of God, that's what we mean by God. And therefore, the ontological argument does have weight. Because words mean something, mm-hmm. and they point to something that has certain attributes or, or lack thereof. Mm-hmm. So that's why I find the ontological argument convincing, because it is something that we accept on a day-to-day basis in everything that we speak of and we think of. We just tend to resist it when it comes to something like God, you know, because we find it that's too, too big of a concept, and we don't, we don't want to accept it in that, in that way. But I love I love the ontological argument, and as you know, Brian, I I, I do have my own version of the ontological oh, yeah. argument, which I haven't, <laughs> I haven't presented it yet. I was supposed to present it this year, but I, I I haven't gotten there yet. But I will I will present it. Um, it is convincing to me. I'm not sure if it's convincing to you guys or anybody else, but I I do love those arguments. And but so, to answer your question, I think the argument from the resurrection is the most important because it it brings us to the gospel directly. Absolutely, and it's hard. And it's hard to beat that. I mean, all of them are good, and as you said, they all. I mean, and, and again, I think you brought up a good point because every person. The beautiful thing about apologetics is that there are so many different arguments that there's something out there for everyone that can be convincing yep. if people yep. would just do the work and be open to the possibility that God exists and that Jesus may be uh, very well be the Son of God, which we believe to be true. Definitely. And the historic argument for the resurrection is something that, you know, once you know how history is done, it is it is fairly convincing, you know, yeah. it is fairly yeah. convincing because this is how history is done. It's not like it's something that we invented for the purpose of the resurrection. This is just simply how history is investigated. <laughs> and using those criteria, we reach these conclusions about the resurrection. That 
that to me is pretty impact, pretty impressive. Absolutely. Yeah. Curtis, anything to add? No, that's good. Well, Manuel, how can our listeners learn more about your ministry and resources? So most of your listeners, I guess, are English-speaking listeners. So I'm assuming they're they're not really going to be able to to, to keep up. But I'm gonna. I assume that you write it out, right, so that people can at least read it when when you when you share this podcast, right? Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. We can share the link on the on the yeah. podcast. So I'm I'm on YouTube and Facebook. It's called Bendecidos para Bendecir. That's three words. Basically, it translates to blessed. We are blessed in order to bless. That's essentially what the ministry is about. Um, and and that's that's you know that stems from what I told you guys at the beginning. You know, I came to Christ in this way, and therefore I want uh, others as well in that journey. So that that's essentially the core of the of the ministry. But yeah, Ben Desilos, what I'm in the seed. I got YouTube videos on apologetics. Some of them are in English because I originally started the the the, the channel years ago, and every video I would do, I would do it in English and Spanish. But of course, eventually that became too much work for me to wow. do two videos at once. Yeah, so I eventually focused more on Spanish because, as I said, my heart is in in Puerto Rico. But I do I I do want to have an English like some sort of ministry in English because I am comfortable with this language and I know that there's I could reach more people. But on my own, I can't do it. Like I've always wanted help. I can't do it on my own. Um, but yeah, basically, Ben Desilos para decir whether it be on Facebook, whether it be on on YouTube, that's where I'm at right now. Or you can just look for my name, Manuel Boglio, as well. And yeah. Well, Manuel, I have we have thoroughly enjoyed this podcast. You have an open invitation, my friend. Uh, so be sure to go check out his ministries. We will have a link uh, up on the podcast to go check out Manuel's ministry in Puerto Rico. And thank you, Manuel, for uh, standing in the gap as you have, and and we'll certainly be continually, continually, continuing. I'll get it out here in a minute to pray for your ministry and and that many many souls will be reached for the kingdom of God. Yes, thank thank you guys for the invitation and I exhort anybody that's listening, including you guys. I've actually reached out to Dr. Habermas. Like we need help here in Puerto Rico, and I know that it's difficult because of the language barrier, but that's what I'm here for, right? That's why we reach contacts, and I am really longing for some some somebody to notice that Puerto Rico is a place that is hungry for this. And there's nobody that's giving it to us in that sense. And I, I'm just so I exhort anybody that has any desire and has the means to reach out to me or to somebody else in Puerto Rico. Maybe we can do something together yeah. and try to reach more people. You know, because that that's that's what we need. I need, you know, we need we need more collaboration within the church. Absolutely, most certainly. But yeah. So yeah, thank well, you guys. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you for coming on with us. So. We here at Bellator Christi want to thank you for spending time together with us, and we value that time. Our prayer is that this podcast helps stretch your mind and as a place to strengthen your faith as we strive to create an atmosphere of discussion and as a reliable source of information. Join us next time on the Bellator Christi podcast. Until next time, Brian and I say, Soldier on, friends. been listening to the Bellator Christie podcast brought to you by bellatorchristie.com. The opinions of our guests represent their own and may not reflect those of Bellator Christie Ministries or its affiliates. The Bellator Christie podcast and bellatorchristie.com are protected under Creative Commons copyright, all rights reserved. The opening theme is the song Crucified, written by John and Michaela Limanis, performed by Crosby Lane and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit our YouTube page at www.youtube.com forward slash Also, please consider leaving a positive review on the apps where this podcast is found. We thank you for joining us today and hope to see you back the next time that we step into the arena of ideas. Do you have a question about the Bible, theology, or apologetics that you've always wanted to ask but never felt comfortable asking? If so, we want to encourage you to head over to bellatorchristie.com and submit your question on the Submit a Question link. Your question will be reviewed and may be featured on a future article or podcast. Remember, the only dumb question 
is the one unasked. So go over to bellatorchristie.com now and submit your question. Have you ever wondered about the Christian faith but have become bogged down by difficult terminology? Are you a Christian and faced doubts and you didn't know where to turn? Maybe your faith has been challenged and you don't know how to respond. Or perhaps you desire to learn more about how to winsomely defend your faith, but you do not have the time nor the finances to enroll in seminary. If any of these situations describes you, then consider purchasing a copy of the Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics. This book confronts the challenges facing the Christian faith, but does so in a way that is accessible to everyone. The Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics is available in softcover, hardcover, on the Kindle, and Nook. Consider purchasing a copy of the Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics from your favorite bookstore today.